Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I am one of your hosts, Bill Real. Brittany Hartley, our other co-host, is out for the week. She's taken a week off, and so I have a special guest uh, in studio today, and would you introduce yourself? Hi, yes, it's me again, Amanda, your lovely wife. Yes, so it's my wife, Amanda, and I, and uh, we wanted to talk today about uh, a book that we've read numerous times called The Four Agreements. It's a book written by Miguel Ruiz, and uh, he's written other books, which we've listened to The Four Agreements several times. We've listened to his follow-up book, The Fifth Agreement, uh, a few times. We've listened to his other books, uh, Mastery of Self and Mastery of Love. And his books, by the way, are really easy. They're His books you can essentially read in about two hours. Uh, he gets right to the point. Uh, he speaks in kind of a mystical sort of language. Uh, in fact, we'll, we'll speak to this in a moment, but I've heard people complain that his books seem to be too foo-foo, too wishy-washy, too much in the hypothetical spiritual stuff and not really boots on the ground. But that's not the way I take him. And I don't think that's the way you take him either. I don't know. And so uh, we need to set up this conversation uh, by uh, what he does in the very beginning, which he talks about what agreements are. And he talks about this word domestication. And so at the beginning of the book, The Four Agreements, and again, I I would recommend that everyone read it. It's it's to me, it was a life changing book. And it's principles that while I'm not perfect at, and I don't think Amanda would say she's perfect at, they're things that we are thinking about and trying to be and working on, and they've had a deep impact on our life. So each of us is born into systems, social systems, family systems, maybe a religious system. And in those systems, everyone around us is telling us by their body language, by their words, by all kinds of different forms of communication, some explicit, some implicit, some subconscious, some very conscious. And in that messaging, uh, we are told what it means to be an acceptable, good human. And any time that we take what others tell us about ourselves or about how we need to be, and we go along with it, we are entering an agreement. And he uses this word agreement, not only in the title of his book, but it's throughout his book. And and you can make new agreements. You can break old agreements anytime you want. You simply have to choose not to believe the agreement that you were at one time taking part in. So, um, for instance, um, I remember hearing a story once where this, this guy shared a story, I think, on Reddit, where when he was growing up, his family put on these like plastic socks to take showers. And it was what the entire family did. And so he grows up with this agreement, essentially, that he's going to take a shower with these plastic socks on. I don't know what the reason was that the family gave for why they do it. But when he got to college, he's he's like, he's like, hey, does anybody have any shower socks? 
And the rest is his roommate and the other person who was there hanging out. It's like, what are you talking about? And he explained, like, don't doesn't everybody do this? Like, everybody does this thing, right? This is what we all do. And the other folks in the room are like, no, no, dude, that's weird. What are you what are you doing? And so often these agreements that we make, we we feel as we grow up that they are the way the world works. But in reality, they might only be the way this particular system works. Or maybe it's the way the world works today, but it's not the way the world worked a thousand years ago. And so as we make all of these agreements, Miguel Ruiz makes the argument that what we're participating in is domestication. And we often think of domestication like there's domesticated animals, like we have cats and dogs. And even to the point where like a lot of our uh, our farm animals are uh, domesticated to some extent. Our pigs and our cattle, they stay where we want them. They eat our food. They couldn't survive on their own if we let them loose. Um, they have essentially, at one time, they were wild animals. And today, they're no longer wild. And what you don't realize is that the world has domesticated us. Uh, and I'll give one example. If we lived a 1,000 years ago, if we lived 10,000 years ago, if we lived 50,000 years ago, we could eat or take in or drink or partake in any food or uh uh, drink to, to that we wanted to. And today, say, for instance, drugs, uh, when it comes to something like uh, mushrooms, you could have walked out into the woods and eaten a mushroom. But today we have rules and laws that say, if you do that, you're taking a risk, you could be arrested. And so you don't really have the freedom to do life the way you want to do it. Instead, the system you live in says, oh yeah, you're free. You're a free citizen in the United States of America. But in reality, there are a million things you either have to do or cannot do. And the system punishes you or rewards you based on you doing what the system tells you to do. So you've been domesticated. And all these agreements that you've made that have domesticated you, they've taken away your inner self. You are not being the human being you want to be, but you are being the human being that you've agreed with the systems around you to be in order for the system to feel safe. And so you compromise something, you're giving up something. And this book is essentially challenging you to sit with that and to start to feel safe to make changes where you need to or you want to. Um, and so we'll get into these four agreements. Any thoughts there on that? No, I think you did a good summary there. So the the first agreement, and he says this is the hardest one, uh, is to be impeccable with your word. Uh, Amanda, any thoughts on being impeccable with your word? Boy, I'm probably just about in last place with this one. It is truly hard to be impeccable with your word. What does he mean by that? He talks about it's going beyond honesty it's really being true with yourself. It's being true with others. And to just really be impeccable. And that's really hard to do. Yeah, we we are often, like, say some of the things he says here. So speak with integrity. Say only what you mean. Avoid using the word to speak against yourself or to gossip about others. It is ingrained in us on, on an evolutionary level to gossip. We humans have actually survived because of gossip. Gossip has allowed us to work together, to collaborate, to understand each other better, believe it or not, in certain size groups that once you get to a certain size, 
you no longer know everyone in the group intimately, that you'll find this in the book Sapiens by Yuval Harari. And so this idea that, um, that gossip is a human invention in order for a larger group to be able to work together and to survive into the future, to perpetuate the species. And so there is something ingrained in our minds that's happened for thousands and thousands of years that encourages us from inside of us to gossip about others. And Ruiz challenges us to sit with the fact that gossip is this negative energy. Um, he, he talks in the beginning of the book, Amanda, about uh, black magic. And again, I think this is where the people who criticize the book and think it's foo-foo get a little bit lost in the weeds because they're thinking he's talking about actual black magic, like putting a spell on somebody and it works. But what he's trying to say is that when you when you tell someone a story and that story is a, has a negative energy to it, if you call somebody names, you say that somebody's ugly, you say that somebody is uh, horrible at something, you say that somebody is this or that, but those things have a negative tone, a negative meaning, a negative interpretation... The person you're saying them to cannot help but to absorb some of that. And when they absorb some of that, they are now going to show up in their life having been affected by that by the thing that you said that was negative. Hence, you are putting a spell on them. You are performing black magic and not in the foo-foo way, but in a really literal you're you're making their life harder. You're making their life, you're making their self-image more negative. You're making the obstacles they need to overcome to be happy and healthy and live a full life more difficult. You really are putting them under a spell. You are. And a little preview that's actually going against what the second agreement is, but let's just keep it here for a moment because you're right. We all can't help but to do these things. And it's funny that you brought that up because that's the next thing I was going to talk about is he talks about your word being a magical tool. So we can use it for pure magic or black magic because like you said, we can't help but to take some of that on and believe it. And now it's part of our agreement. And and so he talks about how us human beings, we are just pure light, which is pure love. And so we definitely can use white magic or black magic. We can be kind to people and ourselves, or we can say something negative that completely can take hold for your whole entire life. One of the examples he used was um, a mother who just had a really bad day. She had a headache and her daughter, you know, was young and she's just full of life and fun and just having a great day and giggling and singing. And her mom was just had enough and just told her to stop singing that she had an ugly voice, which her mom didn't mean. She just meant she had a headache and any noise at all is making it worse. But her daughter took this as an agreement and also agreed with her. And so she never sang again ever and thought really horrible things about herself. And so thinking of a, a being a parent and a grandparent now of around our grandbabies to be impeccable with our word and to not have our grandbabies take on these unnecessary agreements. Yeah, that's that's a big deal. You you want to he talks about how when you're impeccable with your word, you operate in the space of uh love and honesty, like a truth and love. And those two should be present at all times. Like you don't 
tell someone the truth just to poke at them, just to get under their skin, just to get back at them, uh, again, that would have a negative connotation to it. And so every every time you're being honest, and you should be honest always, you're being honest with the motive of love. And so the way that you're honest will show up completely different. Um, again, he says, speak with integrity, say only what you can, avoid using the word to speak against yourself or to gossip about others. Use the power of your word of your sorry, use the power of your word in the direction of truth and love. Um, speak with integrity. Say only what you mean. Avoid using the word to speak against yourself. You know, you, you can use the word against yourself. If you look in the mirror and say, I'm ugly, look in the mirror and say, I'm just no good. I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not good at this human thing, whatever it is. Anytime you're beating yourself up or depreciating yourself, you are, you are not being impeccable with your words. You're using your own word against yourself, and you're casting your own black magic, your own spells against you. And by the way, all this terminology that he's using uh, comes from the Toltec tradition that he's from. And so he he says these agreements exist very powerfully within the Toltec tradition. And the whole goal of spirituality within the Toltec tradition is to let go of our victim persona. We have a we have a piece inside of us that wants to be the victim. We have a piece inside of us that wants to be the judge. And he says to shed those and instead to be a Toltec warrior. And by warrior, he doesn't mean someone who goes out and fights a war, but he means somebody who is constantly in battle against people placing negative messaging within us. That you're a warrior against this toxic uh, programming that the systems and the people around you can't help but to pass to you. Including yourself. Including yourself, yes. And he speaks of that stuff as being poison. Um, and speaking of language, another thing that people might not like about this book is he does talk about God and, and spiritual things like that, but he's not talking about a God. We are God. Like all humans are one, basically, we're all one. We're all the same. We're the same entity, just you know, experiencing life differently. And so don't get negative about the book because he mentions God. Just listen and understand what he really means by it. And some other things he talks about, you know, is your, our mind being so fertile and it needs to be prepped. But what are we going to prep it to have stick and to have grow? And um, so and another thing he talks about is sin. But sinning is speaking against yourself is going against what yourself knows to be true for yourself. Yeah, he doesn't talk about commandments. He's not talking about the rules that the systems give you. And as you're pointing out, Amanda, it's, he's speaking symbolically. He's not He's not saying God like, hey, it's Heavenly Father up in the sky. He, he means God like, the cre- again, it's that creative energy of the universe. And it is this interconnectedness of all of us that we are, as Eckhart Tolle says, we are the universe experiencing being human for a little while. Um Somebody just last week or something on a different podcast was talking about relating it to trees. And I've been thinking about that over the course of a week. I think it was on a different podcast that I do. And uh, he was talking about how like the tree and then there's the branches and then there's the leaves. And each of us walk around because our brain tells us that we are an independent, conscious self and that we are separate from everything else. But the reality is, if you can picture it, we are like, like the tree is the universe and we are the leaves. And the leaf is a leaf. It's, it is on its own, its own thing, but it's also part of the tree. And, and so we are all interconnected. And it's it's this self, it's this development, um, it's this evolutionary, uh, evolutionary development of consciousness that has convinced us that we are separate from the universe. 
And the reality is we're not. If you go back 13.7 billion years and you could watch it all play out and fast forward, you would realize very quickly that everything that is came from what was. And what was originally was something small and minuscule that began to grow and expand, begin to move, begin to change. And now here we are in 2022 and we're sitting here as human beings but we really are the leaves of the universe. Yes. Uh, anything else on the, and be impeccable with your word. We can move on to the next one. Um, just, I thought it was interesting that he said that we need to understand what the word is and what the word does. So I think if we just settle down and, and be still for a moment, because we're always such in a rush to get it out, get it out, get it out. And I definitely, this person is to really understand what are the words you're saying and what are they going to do? Yeah. what er, Everything you say means something. I like that. White magic or black magic, it's up to you. Yeah. Um, all right. So the second agreement is don't take anything personally. <laughs> and what he's saying here is that every, all around the your world, and, and he also talks about dreams in the beginning. We should probably hit on this. Um, in the beginning, he talks about every one of us is living a dream. We're creating a dream. We are all artists. We are all making a dream inside our heads play out. Like everybody's world inside their head is different from the person next to them. And you create your dream by the intentions that you have and then what you do with those intentions and how you show up in the outside world. And um, he says like everybody is communicating with each other. Everybody is trying to impose or suggest or nudge others to fit into their dream the way they want them to. And so people are constantly messaging, giving out messaging that is suggesting that you agree with them to make the world the way they want it to be and that you perceive yourself the way that they want you to perceive yourself. And he says, don't do that. Like, don't take anything personally. Uh, he talks about how nothing others do is because of you. What others say and do is a projection of their own reality, their own dream. When you are immune to the opinions and actions of others, you won't be the victim of needless suffering. So it's this matter of constantly trying to move through the world, reminding yourself that whatever other people say or do does not have to be a reflection of you unless you accept that agreement. And so you can decide, like if somebody says you're this or you're that, you can simply not accept that agreement. Like we're all human beings and there's no doubt that some of us are faster than others and some can jump higher than others. Like there's no doubt that we all have different gifts. But to say someone's slow is to say like, oh, that leaf is this, when in reality there are trillions and trillions of leaves and they all have different characteristics and they're all unique and beautiful in their own way. Somebody once said, if you walk into a forest and you see a tree that's all crooked, you would stand and stare at it and marvel at its beauty. Like, isn't that cool? Isn't that unique? And yet whenever we see a human that doesn't fit the mold of what we think all humans should be or look like or sound like or think like, we suddenly f apply these labels of less than or greater than. When in the forest of trees, we would just look at the tree that's different and notice that it's unique and special. Um, it's a different way to approach what people say and who people are. 
Yeah, and when I chuckled when you introduced this chapter, because very early in this chapter, he does mention that taking things personally is a maximum act of selfishness. And I thought that was interesting and at the same time can see the truth in that. Because, like, for example, I am constantly playing the victim. I am constantly taking on those negative agreements instead of saying, I don't have to agree with that. And to um, finally become one with myself and say, this is just a meat suit. What it looks like is what I have done to it, more or less. And so... But being careful at the same time, calling it a meat suit, you still have to take care of it and and try to take pride in it. Um, So you almost have to have this double-edged sword in your brain of, you know, because he talks about how everyone and everything is perfect. And once you get past all your symbols, which is your language um, and different symbols you add to things or has been added for you, Um, Once you see past all of these things, you can see just the perfection of the thing as what it is. So you need to be careful saying this meat suit as in what under it is perfect and exactly how it's supposed to be and not to be too callous. So you're taking care of your meat suit and you love your meat suit and it performs for you the best that it can in any given moment. Yeah. So whether it's whether it's whether you're bothered by your physical appearance, whether you're bothered by the sound of your voice, whether you um, feel like you're not adequate in a certain area, maybe you're not great at science, or maybe you're not great at uh, English. Maybe you struggle with playing an instrument when all the other siblings in your family were really good at it. Maybe you're not great at sports when all of your when your dad and your grandfather and your great grandfather were really good at it. And so you can constantly take on an agreement or a story that you're not good at this thing, when in reality, you're just different than the person next to you. It's not a matter of really being good or bad. For instance, you're better at baseball than the turtle that's at the zoo, right? Like you're better, you're better at math than the, the dolphin that's swimming around in the ocean. Like we're all just different than the other life forms around us. And I, I often think we're alien, even as humans to each other. And so to take on agreements that you're no good at this thing, or you're horrible at that, or, you're, or your nose is too big, or your, your knees are too awkward, or when we take on those agreements, they're, they're only creating a negative story that shows up in our life. It is black magic, and, and we don't have to do that. We can just accept that you are a completely unique human being, and you don't have to take any of it personally which allows you to move through the world carrying a lot less baggage and it allows you to show up a lot healthier in the present moment. Right. And then he talks about fear a lot in the book as well. And um, so our opinions that we share and how we move through the world, we're mostly operating out of fear. And once we can tackle that and stop acting out of fear, a lot of negativity goes away as well. And so it falls back into, let's not take things personally, because all you're doing is setting yourself up to suffer. Yep. Go ahead. Sorry. And I just thought it was interesting, too, how he talks about how we're in our wake sleep, how everything is linear. But in reality, our brain lives on different dimensions, and it talks to itself, and it listens to itself. So it's got this constant banter that I know Bill has talked about 
how do we quiet that? Like, are we using mindfulness? Are we meditating? What are we doing to settle our mind down? Because our mind lies to us all the time. Yeah. And uh, the the third agreement is don't make assumptions. Um, assumptions often get us in trouble. And this is a difficult one, I think, for most of us. When things happen, we very our brains are programmed to come up with a narrative for why the thing happened that did. So maybe we feel slighted by somebody we care about. Maybe we feel picked on uh, by somebody, say a bully in the schoolyard. And immediately our brain goes, I know why they're doing this. They're doing this because I did this or because I'm this or because they're this. You know, they're mean or they're... And, and the reality is we don't have a clue what's going on inside someone else's head. We don't know the motives for why people do the things they do. We don't know the, the whole reasoning for why people make the decisions that they do. So he talks about not making assumptions. He says, find the courage to ask questions and to express what you really want. Communicate with others as clearly as you can to avoid misunderstandings, to avoid sadness, to avoid drama. He says, with just this one agreement, you can completely transform your life. Uh, so don't don't make assumptions. And I think it was interesting. He said something about, we don't even need the correct answer. We just need an answer. So we start making up assumptions and things like this. And even when we do have the right answer, we're still making assumptions. Yeah, what you really only can go off of is what is actually happening in the outside world. You're going to have so much difficulty figuring out exactly, even a person trying to explain themselves will have difficulty explaining all the facets of their of the reasons why they showed up in the outside world the way they did. And so when you come up with stories, when you come up with stories about why people did things, you're almost always going to miss the mark, at least to some degree. You'll very rarely completely capture the essence of what's really going on inside someone's head for what they do. So in our relationship, this is something we've struggled with for years and years and years. And we are really working hard at holding each other accountable and trying ourselves to show up in a way that goes like, hey, this thing happened. It hurt me. Can you speak about what went on there? What was going on? And um, rather than going like, oh, you're mean. I can't believe you did that. Like, like people do what they do for their own reason. And in the moment, that reason seems good to them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. And so you're just trying to share your feelings. You're trying to say like, hey, something happened and it hurt. And give that person a chance to know that it hurt you so that they can, if they're healthy, work to resolve it uh, and to own whatever it was. But also to be able to explain like, hey, it wasn't what you thought. Here's what I thought was going on. There's so many times where Amanda comes to me and, and or I'll go to her and we're having a conversation and something pokes one of us and I'll go like, hey, baby, that really hurt. And she'll go, oh, I didn't even know that. Here's what was going on in my head. And I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Once I understand your line of reasoning, I can completely get why you did what you did. Um, we have to stop coming up with narratives about why people do what they do. And to do that is to make assumptions. And so don't make assumptions. Mm -hmm. I love that. In that example, I felt like you did all the agreements and it was great. So don't make assumptions and let that other person explain to them, you know, this is what was going on. This is how I understood the situation. And then the other person not to take it personal and be like, oh, okay, he just had a different experience than me. And that's okay. And we don't have to get all bent out of shape. 
And so there's nobody having to be the victim. There's no judger. There's, you know, you're being impeccable with your word. And so all the things, and I have found that in those situations, when we let those play out, we're so much happier with each other. And we're not having this all day long fight, hurt feelings, you know, trying to now come back together and piece us back together and, you know, get through it. We already did it because all these agreements were right in front of us and we were able to utilize those tools and just to have a conversation and move on. Nothing happened and everything was great. Your ego, because you're domesticated, because you've compromised your your full healthy self in order to be what the systems around you needed to be, your ego is there to help protect you from the judgment and the shame of the systems around you and the agreements that you've that you're that you've accepted and essentially agreed to be part of. And so when you get poked, when when somebody seems to violate you in some way, and it can be so simple, it can be just a gruff voice or it can be uh someone isn't where they said they would be or um just something small happens but you you get poked by it. Now your ego's telling you like you're the good guy and they're the bad guy and here's the story and here's why and I should never trust anybody and here's this going on and here's that going on. And in reality, it's just your ego trying to protect you. It's just your ego going like, I don't want to take the fall for this. Somebody's got to pay for this. And so even when somebody comes to you and goes like, oh, well, hold on a minute, slow down. Here's what was really going on in my head when this happened. Your ego will want to fight against that. Your ego will go like, no, I've got some negative emotion in me and I've got to resolve it. And the only way I can resolve it is to lash out or to hold that person accountable, to say something mean back. And the reality is you don't. If you can find a moment to just take a deep breath while feeling the negative emotion, and start to like lean into your logic brain and go like, no, the person has a valid reason for why they did what they did. They seem sincere that that I got hurt and they didn't want that. And they've explained the situation in such a way that it makes sense. I've got to figure out a way without showing up unhealthy and reacting unhealthy to sit with that negative emotion and go like, I don't have to have this. The situation isn't anything that really requires me to carry this. And, and even if it did, you're only doing yourself hurt. So you got to figure out how to let it go anyway. But in the simplest of moments, if we can start there where really there isn't a reason to hang on to it and start practicing um, sitting with that and letting it go on its own, then you start to build the tools that when hurt was intentional, you now have the tools in your bag to start to sit with some of those too. Um, it really is growth. And we'll get to that here in a moment with the fourth agreement. Any other thoughts on don't make assumptions? Um, I like how he talked about we are not true to ourselves because we are afraid of judgments of others, but we've already judged ourselves. So we are the one holding ourselves down with making the assumptions and and judgments and things. You know, we'll lash out at the world and, and say it's everybody else that's fault. But really, if you're not living your best and true self, it's your own fault. And that's a really hard pill to swallow. It, it is. We are responsible for a significant portion of our misery. We are responsible for a significant portion of the hurt we carry around. It doesn't mean that when someone abused you in the past that they weren't making an unhealthy choice and created unnecessary harm. They absolutely did. 
It's not taking away what others have done throughout your life, whether it's some form of abuse, whether it's some form of betrayal, whether it's some form of manipulation or coercion or gaslighting or shaming or like everybody's showing up and various people at various moments, all of us at some moments are creating unnecessary harm for ourselves and for others. But if if 20 years later, it's still affecting you on the daily basis, Again, it's not to, I want to be really careful here. It's not to say it's your fault because it's not, but it's to recognize that there are tools out there. There are ways in which to sit with some of that and to be able to process it and to release it and to not allow it to have a hold on you any further going forward. And so it's this really careful balance of, of recognizing like, no, I'm not telling you it's your fault. And there are ways to let go of at least some of it and to reduce the impact it has on you in the very moment here and now. And and to recognize that the more tools you can add to your tool bag, the more skills that you can get in, uh, in inner work and kind of understanding uh, not only these four agreements, but a thousand other tools that you now get to show up different tomorrow than you are today and that tomorrow will have let go of some of this unnecessary harm that others and yourself imposed on you. I think it's interesting that you brought that up because it either in wrapping up this book or in the fifth agreement, he does talk about um, if you encountered abuse in your lifetime and how, no, it's not your fault. And if we're being honest with ourselves, it wasn't that person's fault either they came to the the moment with the tools that they've had with the things and the agreements that were placed upon them as well. And so this is not giving excuse to this person. Um, I was abused um, myself. And so the further getting away from that, I can sit in misery and talk about how this thing was done to me. And also in the book, he talks about the victim will say this happened to me. And the warrior will say, this is just a thing that happened because things happen. And so it's how you can move through that and around that and that you will only take as much abuse as is less than what you give yourself. So if you're currently like in an abusive relationship, you are going to stay there until that person abuses you more than you abuse yourself. So that's very interesting, I think, because we are all playing the victim at various times and various degrees. So it's how hardcore you want to play that victim, or do you want to move into being a warrior? Yeah, he. um, so it goes back to these agreements that you've made. Whatever agreements you've made with the systems and people around you, you've agreed to tolerate some of what you're tolerating. And if your new agreement is that you don't tolerate ABC or XYZ, then you get to create new boundaries that don't have you tolerating that. And I think often this world has taught us to be afraid, to be afraid of changing our environment, to be afraid of doing a new thing, to be afraid of stepping into a new habit. And uh, just as you're pointing out, Amanda, that at the end of the fifth agreement, Um, he talks about how everybody's showing up the best they can. He did the same thing at the end of the fourth agreement. He he talks about how regardless of what agreements have brought you to this moment and whatever harm 
has come from that. You need to understand that your parents, your siblings, your coworkers, your the students at your school, they were all doing the best they could in their moment. They had their own traumas and abuses. They had their own agreements. They had their own uh, black magic spells that were on them. And and so it's 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 not forgetting it. It's not it's not having to give everyone a free pass. Um, instead, it's the realization that you can start right here, right now, to do something different about it. Um, and 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 I think again, I don't want to diminish people's trauma. I don't want to. I don't want to minimize the reality of the harm that has been imposed on each of you. That's real. The things that happened shouldn't have happened. It, it wasn't fair and it wasn't right. But you, you can either, to the very extent that you already are, you can keep carrying it the way that you do, or you can start to do something different today that, that gives you some empowerment to release or to process at least a degree of it more further than you than you were yesterday. Um, anything else here on, on uh, I think we're still on number three, right? So we're going to get to number four. Yeah, um, I don't think so. I think that's a good bridge into number four if you're ready for it, because this one kind of, I feel, lets you to take a breath. And it's the practice of putting them all together in always do your best. Yeah, always do your best. And he acknowledges, and by the way, I think there's a little bit of um, kind of a game going on here, because I think all of us recognize that in any moment we probably could have done more or better. There's this idea in the world that you can always get more things done. You could have always used more of your time efficiently. But could you? Right. That's my point, is that, no, that's why I say it's almost a game, because it's a double-edged sword on, on, or, or two sides of a coin. On one side of the coin is this realization inside your own head that if you could go back in time in a moment that you're not happy with, you could have done something different inside your, in your head, you think. Like I could have done something different. I should have showed up this way. I should have went and had and gone ahead and did this task when I knew I should have done it. But there's also the realization, again, we talked about this in a different podcast, free will may not be as free as we think it is. And in reality, we really may be doing the very best we can in each given moment. And so it's easy to second guess yourself because in your in your conscious brain, there's at least an illusion that you are completely free to do all kinds of things, but maybe it's not exactly real. And so maybe be a little more forgiving of yourself for the way you did show up in the past. So always doing your best is a recognition that, as he points out in the book, your best is always changing. Your best your best in this moment right here is going to be different than your best in the moment five minutes from now. And what I feel like he's really getting at, the idea of always doing your best is that if you can get inside your head and be present with your thought process as it's happening, if you can be the observer of your thoughts, what you can do now is you can slow down time a little bit inside your head and you can intentionally make decisions in your life in any given present moment where you are actually present. And so when he says to do your best, always do your best, what I think he's saying is that in any given moment, if you can be present, be right here, right now, thinking about everything that's going on around you, the interaction that you're having with another human being, the task that needs to be done, and go, look, I'm, I'm present. Here I am, right here, right now. You actually have the capability 
to be your best self in that moment. And that's a very different thing from going like, oh, I always got to do my best. I always got to do my best. Because you're just running around and you'll just exhaust yourself or you will beat yourself up because it's not what you wanted it to be. I really think he's telling us to be present because then we're more effective and more healthy in our decision making. Yeah. And when you were talking and I couldn't help but go back to, well, you weren't being impeccable with your word. The first agreement is be impeccable with your word. And if you're going back to your past and beating yourself up about, oh, if I would have done this or I could have done that, you're not being kind to yourself. So you're not being impeccable with your word. You are keeping with negative black magic agreements that have been placed upon you by somebody else or yourself of trying to be that perfectionist or something. And, oh, I could have done, I could have. No, you couldn't have. And so quit blaming yourself for old agreements. You can make new ones and be impeccable with your word. Be kind, be kind to yourself. And um, he did talk about like when you are doing too much, you're depleting yourself and being extra or being um, too, doing your best too good, if that's a thing, you're depleting yourself, so you're not doing your best. And on the flip side of that, if you're not doing your best, now here comes the blame and shame game. And so just like Bill said, be present. And if you're being present, you're doing your best. And so stop chiding yourself on old agreements. And make new ones. And he says, you're going to break these agreements. You're, the you're going to break them all the time. Start over. If you break your agreement, all you have to do in this present moment is go, I'm going to re-agree to that. And I'm going to start right now to do it. And what he says is like, it's a different life. In one life, you're never sitting with what you're doing or thinking about these kinds of agreements. And hence, you just move through life going like, oh, I wish I could have done this, or I'm glad I did that, but oh, I messed up again today. When you're aware of these four agreements and you recognize you're human, you're going to constantly break them. But they are things that you have as as mantras or as, um, you, you know, my wife, you write things on the mirror. Like, you'll just put notes up on the mirror, things you want to think about or or remember or things you want to start implementing in your life. And it's fascinating, I think, it, from my point of view, too, to walk into the room and go like, yeah, these are good things. Let, I'm going to work on these, too. These are things I want to do. And I think when you're present and you go like, all right, today I'm going to try to keep these four agreements. Today I'm going to try to be aware of them as I move through the day. He goes, every time you mess up, just start over. You don't have to beat yourself up. Just start over. Mm-hmm. We're all messing up. None of us are keeping these agreements perfectly. But when your intention is to keep them and you're and you're present and aware of these agreements you will naturally keep them far and wide better than when you're not conscious of them when you're not present with them and so the suggestion is to start being more still inside trying to be the person that you want to be and not beating yourself up when you miss the mark. Right. And he also talked about by not doing your best, you're actually living in the past and that you're only half alive, which makes you not happy. And you start the whole self-pity victim game again. Yeah. It's a clusterfuck that we keep ourselves in. Yeah, he doesn't He doesn't want us to beat ourselves up. He, he just wants us to have a more rich, full life. He wants us to develop our integrity and our integrity comes by saying what we mean and meaning what we say it it's it's less protective you're not letting your ego protect you 
you're being vulnerable. You're saying like, hey, here's who I am. Here's how I think. Here's why I do what I do. Here's what I want. Here's what my needs are. Here's what I'd like the the world to look like, but I don't want to run anyone over. Like, let's just communicate. And, and so be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. Again, which to me means always try to be present so that you're responding to the world around you rather than reacting to it. Yeah. And I was going to say one of the themes of this book and other books I've read, but maybe it's just my theme. So thank you for sitting with me in this is don't worry about the past. Don't care about the future and only live in the present. And the more I hear these things said differently, like I said, in different books, different podcasts, different things that I'm wrestling with, is the most present you can be seems to be where the most happiness dwells. Yeah. Somebody once said that we humans are almost always treating the present as if it is the past. In other words, we are so busy inside our heads trying to figure out why we did what we just did and trying to plan for what we're going to do, that the present moment is not, we're not really aware of it, and it becomes the past immediately. Um, let me try to say it differently. The, the past is just a memory, and the future never comes. All you have is right now. But when you're an ego, you're not present. You're not right here, right now. And hence, this present moment is already the past, because you're already worried about other things rather than being present with the moment that's right in front of you. This is the only moment you have is right here. Everything, someone said everything, I think it's Eckhart Tolle said that everything that's ever been created was created in a present moment. Nothing got created in the past. Nothing got created in the future. You're always creating in this moment. And so you're creating your own dream. Back to how he started the book. You're creating your own dream. The more that you are right here, right now, present, with the world around you, as Amanda pointed out, you're just going to be more at peace and and have less things weighing on you. Now, it doesn't mean you don't plan like, okay, I've got a vacation in two weeks. I got to make sure I get the airline. So you do have to do the things that need to be done, but you don't have to unnecessarily dwell on the past and future when it's nothing you can do about it in this moment. Instead, take care of the things in this moment that you can take care of. Right. And wrapping up the book, he kind of talks a little bit more about the Toltecs and how they're wild and free. And it's like watching a child play. And that's where we need to go back to is we need to remember how to play. And that's being present without fear of other people's judgments because you don't need to accept those agreements. And so, and he said, if you watch child play, how they're just their faces are light and they're laughing. And when they pretend to be grown-ups, how their faces just automatically tune up and just scrunch up and you can tell they're just being serious adults. And when we can catch ourselves being childlike and that pure laughter we go back to, that you and I have talked about this a little bit, is even our laughter has changed and it's becoming more childlike again because we can now laugh without the judgment of others or... We should say we don't care about the judgment of others because we made our own agreements like, I like that childlike laugh, and I like being childlike. I like being free. Humans are supposed to be wild and free. So if we go back to the Toltec, being present. Yeah, and wild and free should should never involve causing another human being unnecessary harm. It's just being your full, passionate self. Because light is love. 
And so when you're being true to yourself and true to your light, all you have is love. Yeah, I didn't even realize, Amanda, that my laugh had changed. Like, I didn't realize that I had adapted my laugh. And so you and I, over the last five years, have been in experiences, have been in moments where we just laughed like we did when we were little kids. And as soon as it happened, you realize, like, oh, that's my real laugh. And we missed it. Yeah. I have a cute little trill to my true laugh, actually. Yeah. So for folks listening, like, you don't even know the things you agreed to. You don't even know that you've been domesticated. You don't even know that you have compromised significant parts of yourselves. You're not even aware of the less significant parts of yourself that you've sacrificed. Right. And and the only way to get back in touch with that is to stop taking everything personally, is to stop letting the world impose on you what you need to be what you need to look like, how you need to sound, what you need to be good at. So I think it's the really hard part of the work, actually, is are you ready to sit with yourself? Are you ready to get to know yourself? Yeah. Because until you're ready to do that, you're not going to, and you shouldn't before you're ready, because it's damn hard work. It's rewarding, though. So the, the last, so that four agreements are the ones that are covered in his first book. His second book, The Fifth Agreement, does a beautiful job of supplementing and adding to the four agreements. He goes over each one of them again. He reframes them slightly differently. He gives you, kind of builds upon the first book and gives you more information on those four agreements. He also synopsizes them in case somebody's only read The Fifth Agreement. And then he gets to The Fifth Agreement, which is to be skeptical, but learn to listen. And he says, don't believe yourself or anybody else. Don't believe the things your ego tells you about you, good and bad. Don't believe anything else someone else's ego tells you, good or bad. Don't believe yourself or anybody else. Use the power of doubt. And by the way, for most people listening, you were raised in a system that told you doubt was bad. It told you to trust the voices in the system that were domesticating you. It told you to trust the agreements that you made with the voices that were domesticating you. And it tells you that doubt is bad, but it's not. Don't believe yourself or anybody else. Use the power of doubt to question everything you hear. Is it really the truth? Listen to intent behind the words and you will understand the real message. Is is the intent to get you to not be your fullest self so that the people or the system around you can succeed and flourish, but that you will feel misery and pain? Or are the words that someone else is telling you trying to free you, trying to help you, trying to support you, trying to nourish you? And then you can begin to understand whether the message is really good or really unhealthy. All right. Thank you for indulging me yet again. I'm going to go back to the end of the Four Agreements book where he talked about how the victim represses emotion and the warrior refrains from emotion. Even after that aha moment yesterday in the shower just this morning, I am a victim. I repress. Um, I've made an agreement that emotions are bad. And so I've, I've been singing incorrect words of frozen and it's conceal, don't feel, don't let them in. You got to be the good girl you're always supposed to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them in. Where I just learned in this book how bad that is and... So to repress them, you're trying to get rid of them. And as a warrior refrains them, they just know when the right time is to bring that 
to the forefront and bring attention to it and say, hey, we got to talk about this. Because as the victim trying to repress this, all I do is volcano and I completely erupt. And now there's this huge fight and all of these things being said and now there's hurt feelings and now we have to repair and reconnect. And instead of fighting to be that warrior and just show refrain, because refrain doesn't mean it has to go away and you have to just deal with it. It's it's just having the wisdom of when and how to talk about that. Right. It's it's the difference between you and your ego putting walls up and trying to distance the um the the emotion or the feelings or the pain that you just don't want to deal with. So you bury them or you or you distance yourself from them instead of actually sitting with it, processing it and moving through it. It's the difference between moving around it versus moving through it. Right. And that's the big word he uses in all of this, I feel like, is awareness. You can't do anything until you're aware of it. And so it all starts with awareness. And then the second big A word I took from this was action. Once you're aware, you have to take action. And then just really give yourself permission to really live like, could you imagine that? So it both books are about a two-hour read. And and we're not going to go into it today, but I would highly suggest the books Mastery of Self and the book Mastery of Love. Uh, they, they go just as well with these first two of the four agreements and the fifth agreement. So the four agreements, be impeccable with your word. Number two, don't take anything personally. Number three, don't make assumptions. Number four, always do your best, or as I like to say, be present so that you can respond instead of react. And the fifth agreement, be skeptical, but learn to listen. Amanda, you have a, you know, it's telling you to doubt, but I also find this useful. It's kind of a different other side of the coin of of this last one of be skeptical, but learn to listen. You have a, a, a saying in your business world, trust, but verify. And so I've, over the last couple of weeks, really sat with that because that's something you've said. And I'm like, yeah, trust, but verify. When somebody comes to you and says something, be skeptical. Like you're trying to figure out if what they're saying is really your reality or not. But also like to some extent in the world, we need to trust people, but we don't need to accept what they're saying is the absolute truth. We can trust, but verify. And so I think the idea behind doubt and trust, they can actually work together and you might need one in one situation and you might need another in a different situation. And it really comes back to being present in this moment so that you can take the healthiest, most responsible approach in the here and now to whatever situation is in front of you. And I thought I just had as well is I feel like it allows you to be kind to both that person and yourself. Like, hey, I trust you. There's nothing wrong with what you're saying. I trust what you're saying. You're a good person. I trust what you're saying. But also, I need to verify it for myself. Yeah. It's not being whimsical. Right. I I need to know something's true inside of me. Like, you and I often have this argument where you'll say, like, you'll be giving me directions. And you're the way better navigator than, than I am. I constant. I can only do one thing at a time. I'm a one-track mind. And so if I'm left to get myself somewhere and drive, I'm going to either not be good as driving or I'm going to be not as good at the navigation. And so you and I have this partnership where generally I drive and you help me navigate to get to the place. And sometimes you'll say like, hey, you want to turn right at the second stop ahead? And I don't see it clearly on the map that's on the phone or on the screen on the car. And I'll have some level of like, I need to know this for sure. 
and you'll be upset because I'm not believing you. And in the last week or two, we've been talking about this idea of trust, but verify it's, it's not a lack of trusting what you're saying. It's that I need to know it's true inside of me because all too often in this world, I've had to deconstruct things that people have said or done that my natural position now is to doubt. I really am naturally skeptical of everything anyone says until I, uh, until I try to experience it, till I try to lean into it, till I try to see it for myself, and then I know it's true within me. So in the last couple of weeks, when this thing has played out in our life that's often caused contention, I now just reply with this thing that you use every day in your job, trust but verify, and then we're both on the same page. Like, okay, he trusts me. He knows, he knows I'm telling the truth, but he also needs to experience it before he can be fully on board. Um, that feels like a healthy way to approach the world. Don't take anybody's word for anything. Everyone out there is trying to tell you their narrative and the way they want their world to be. Systems are trying to get you to compromise yourself so that they can perpetuate. And so much individuality is being lost. And individuality may not be good for the perpetuation of the species, but it sure as hell good for you. Yeah, so just go live your best self and trying your best to implement these five agreements is... I think going to bring you your your most happiness and your most freedom. Go read the books yourself. We uh, we had a lot of fun having this conversation with you today. Check us out at almostawakened.org. And if you're loving these conversations, please donate a few bucks. And for those of you who are donating, thank you. Thank you very much. We really are excited. Uh, Britt and I are excited to, to put episodes together for years to come and to help each of you live your best uh, life, or as Richard Rohr, Rohr says, the second half of life. Uh, Amanda, thanks so much for uh, sitting down with me today and having this conversation. Thanks, guys, for having me. I appreciate you. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, Email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.